This is Listen Again with the Bridge, your opportunity to hear Sunday's message. We hope you enjoy listening, and it all starts right now. After Josh Denhart last week, I thought I better take it up a notch. (laughs) Anybody remember one of these? It's been a while. Anybody remember one of these? Bible, yeah. Those were fun. All right. Anybody ever bite the bullet and buy some of these? Encyclopedia Britannica? Anyone? They're in your basement now, aren't they? Or you gave them away in a garage sale? So, I'm about to pull off the most amazing feat ever, better than anything Josh did. I'm about to take everything that you see there and more, and I'm going to pull that out of my back pocket. You know where I'm going. Are you ready for this? Everybody say amazing. Amazing. That's right. Here it comes. Boom. Look at that. That right there. I mean, I could fill this room with the amount of stuff that we have on this right here. Am I right? Think about it. Probably one of the most Common things I hear from anybody is they will say, what did we do before cell phones? Could you carry that whole package of encyclopedias around with you? No. They sat on a shelf and collected dust. You never even opened them. (laughs) But you were glad you bought them. What about the dictionary? You know, you need a word? It's very simple now. I mean, the maps, come on. I mean, we had our wife in the side passenger seat going, no, honey, it's this way. Now we have Siri going, wrong turn, wrong turn. She's making you turn around. You went from one voice to another. Our lives look so much different ever since we found one of these. But I would argue, as much as our life is different because of these, I would argue there is one thing you can add to your life that is so much more impactful. And I don't even have to say his name because you know who I'm talking about. We just sang songs about him. I'll give you a hint. And so we're gonna talk about today, after coming off of Easter and Josh last week, I do this every year and you probably don't even know it, but anytime we come off of Easter and the amount of people we have in the room, people praying prayer of salvation or rededication to their life, I always want to remind us of who we were before Christ and who we are now. The difference it makes when Jesus Christ is added into our life. So that's where we're going today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two. I 
I want to say thank you to all of those who volunteer here at the church because on Easter, we had 791 people in the room. We can say praise God for that. That's awesome. Now, some of those are guests that are here visiting family. Some of you were gone visiting family. I mean, it's a toss around as to who all was here, but I can tell you there were a lot of people in the room and a lot of people raised their hand for salvation, which is incredible. We had the most we've ever had in the building non-Easter last Sunday with Josh here which was incredible. He did a great job. Did you guys enjoy last week? Can I tell you, the purpose of that was not some sideshow. That was the last thing I wanted. I thought he did an incredible job of incorporating the gospel into all of those tricks and things that he pulled off. It's amazing what he's able to do. And you can, again, understand that there's a lot of people that come through this building and they may start deciding, hey, I need to go to church. I need to be there on Sunday. And so today I wanna talk about before Christ versus after Christ. Now, many of you grew up in the 80s, maybe 90s, listening to a band known as, I'll be honest, Hopefully it was pre-conversion days, but ACDC, anybody ever remember this group? Okay, some of you are like, yeah, I do remember. It's okay, you can be honest. All right, so we stole this before Christ, after Christ. Now I'm gonna have a little fun with you today. First of all, I'm not promoting ACDC, can I be honest with you? That is not where we're going with this, but knowing that probably, I won't even give a, give a percentage, but a lot of you, I'll put it that way, listened to ACDC back in the day, even though you weren't willing to raise your hand. Here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna incorporate ACDC titles into the message today, and at the end, I have a prize for the person that can tell me how many I reference. For instance, if I were to say, we were driving down the road and we hit some black ice, I didn't even listen to ACDC, but that is, somebody raised their hand. They knew Black Ice is one of their songs. So in this message, you will find, maybe you'll pay attention a little more because we're talking about Jesus, but you can pay attention for ACDC if you want. Uh, But really what we're doing is we're trying to get you to connect with what we're gonna talk about before Christ versus after Christ. Ephesians chapter two, are you ready? So first of all, you can count that one. I said Black Ice, that's one of the few that we're gonna use in the sermon today. Ephesians chapter two, the apostle Paul brings us face to face with our condition before Christ. See, now secular humanism believes that a man is instinct, uh, excuse me, intrinsically good. That left on his own, left to himself, man will improve, he will evolve, he will become better. But you and I both know, history has proven otherwise. It's proven that whole idea wrong, that man can save himself if given the right opportunities. Realize this, that with the worldview, man does not need a savior. But the biblical view is different. We know Romans 3.23, if you've been in church at all, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Psalm 51.5 says, surely I have been a sinner from birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So the Bible is looking at this saying, the fallen state of man is hopelessly lost forever without God. It's probably the most difficult truth for us to understand or grasp in scripture. It's hard for us to fathom that we can't save ourselves. We think because of everything else in life, if we do better, we get praised. If we do better, we become higher on the status. Whereas with Christ, if we do better, we didn't get anything from that. 
It's only through grace that we are saved. And we're gonna learn that, Ephesians 2, chapter one through 10. If you can't tell, I'm a little excited about this. Now I'm gonna read from the King, excuse me, the New King James Version. I have a reason for that, but you can follow along. We'll have it on the screen. Here we go. And you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which he, you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, of the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. This is where it does get good. But God, everybody say, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved, right? So, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, if you will, take out your bulletin. You should have a bulletin. Grab that bulletin. You're gonna find these points right there and we're gonna see who we were before Christ and who we are after Christ. The first thing we see there is we were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Now, usually death comes to end life, but for the Christian, life came to end death. Does that make sense? So this death is not a physical one, but a spiritual death. It means a separation from God, having no spiritual life. We are separated from God by our trespasses and sins. Therefore, we are dead spiritually, being unable to understand and appreciate spiritual things. If you remember Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth. He created the garden. He created Adam and Eve. And he said, here's this whole garden for you to hang out in. Have fun, do whatever you want. Just don't eat of this tree. Now, Genesis 2, 17, it says this. In the day that you eat, meaning eat of that fruit of that tree, in the day that you eat, you shall surely die. And what did they do? They ate of the tree. Adam and Eve ate. And they didn't die physically on that day, but their relationship with God radically changed. It was that separation they began to experience the effects of physical death. So we understand we are dead before Christ, dead in our trespasses and sins. Now I wanna be clear on what those two words mean. They have different meanings, but same results. Trespasses means something you willfully, knowingly cross a boundary. Why do you think people put up signs that say no trespassing? When you cross that line, you knowingly cross that line, you're trespassing, that's trespass. A sin can happen without even realizing it. So a couple of years ago, I, it's turkey season right now, I like to turkey hunt, I'll have a few turkey stories for you, but this one is not so good. One day, I'm, I'm hunting on this field, this was a couple of years ago, and there's this fence, row, but there's no uh, boundary from the other uh, 
the other field. There's a gate wide open. There's not even a gate on it. So when I had gone through this land, I thought, when the owner, I thought that both fields were his. So when I went out that morning, I heard where the birds were. I went through this gate and I'm set up on the other side of the gate. When a gentleman walks up to me out of nowhere as I'm calling these birds and he says, hi, how are you? And he introduces himself. I introduce myself. We talk and he's like, do you know who you're hunting on? And I said, so-and-so. And he said, no, that's theirs right there. You're actually on my place. And I felt terrible. I had crossed over a line without realizing it. That was a sin. And again, if we're talking about in the mind of sinning, that would be a sin. I didn't even know I did it. If I had knowingly went across that line, that's trespassing. Now, it doesn't matter what you call it. If he had turned me in, I get a ticket either way, right? In the same way, trespasses and sins both result in death. That's what it says. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And had that person turned me in, how many of you know that ain't no fun? Just a hint, I don't ever say ain't in a sermon, so uh, you might wanna make that mark right there. So we're dead in trespasses and sins. The second one is we're disobedient. Look at verse two. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were disobedient before Christ. And there's two forces here causing us to be disobedient. Paul's listing them. He's talking about these two elements that are working against us. Now, when it says in which you once walked according to the course of the world, that word walked in the Greek, it actually is like the word meander. It's like you're just wander, like aimlessly wandering. I kind of think of a child when they first learn to walk and they're just kind of, I mean, they just walk. They don't even know where they're going. They'll get over there and then they'll turn around and just, come, they don't know where they're going. That's what we're like when we are sinning, lost without Christ walking according to the course of this world. And what he's saying is there's two elements at work here. He first says the world, according to the course of the world. Now, what does that mean, the world? You hear that a lot in church, and you'll be like, well, the world does this. Well, there's really two meanings for the word world in Scripture. One of them, well, let me just read you this, this scripture and then we'll talk about what the world really means. First John 2, 15 through 17, it says, do not love the world or anything in the world. And this is gonna sound contradictory to some of the things we hear in other scriptures. It says, if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. So the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So let's understand this. The Bible tells us in John three sixteen, God so loved what? The world that he gave his only son. So what are we talking about when God loved the world enough to send Jesus, but yet we're not supposed to love the world? Well, there's two meanings here. The first meaning is just God's creation. It's us. It's humanity, it's everything he created, the sun, moon, stars, the water, everything. And, and that's the part he loved so much. He loved humanity so much that he sent his son to die for us. But the second meaning of world is worldliness. Worldliness, it's, it's viewing life through our sin nature. It's our flesh. 
We are the center of our life, not God as the center. That's living as the world lives. A worldly mind is a mind that is self-focused, self-righteous, self-indulgent. And that's the world we're not supposed to love. So I wanna make that clear, that as we're talking about, as we're living according to the course of this world, it's that selfish, self-centered world that just wants what I want and I'm gonna do whatever I can to get it. And that's one of the forces working against us to cause us to meander. The second force, it says, according to the prince of the power of the air. In case you don't know this today, you have an enemy. And that enemy is Satan, and he wants to destroy all of mankind. So he orchestrates the course of the world. Not the world that God created, humanity loves. He orchestrated this world, this place where we're all about ourselves and what we want and to indulge ourselves. And by manipulating the hearts of the children of disobedience. So what's that saying? Before Christ, we were the problem child. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So this word translated disobedience, it means unbelief, or rebellion. In other words, you are being led by a wrong spirit. You're being led by the world, by Satan, or you can be led by God. It's who made who. We're living for ourselves, not living for God. So we understand something. We're dead. We're disobedient. Number three, we're depraved. You could say we're on a highway to hell. You could say we're gonna be baptized by fire. Some of you don't know that one, huh? Verse three, what's it say? Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath just as the others. So part of the process of salvation and change and transformation, if you've lifted your hand and you said, I'm a sinner, I wanna accept Jesus into my heart, I wanna surrender my life to him, part of that is being honest with God about who we are. It's taking ownership of who we are and what we have done. It's interesting to me that the scripture we just read, these first three verses, Paul starts out by saying you. He's talking to them, but by verse three, he's got himself in the mix and he starts saying we. So he said, you were made alive in your trespasses and sins. You once walked according to the course of the world. And then he says, we all once conducted ourselves. So now he's got himself in the mix because this is all of us. And Paul says some pretty bad things about us. He said, we conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh. In other words, a love-hungry man. What is the lust of the flesh? It is that which God created for good. Think about the things God created for good. He's created a lot of things for good, but they become twisted by sin. So proper desires taken to an offensive extreme outside the parameters of God, outside the parameters of his will. Then he says, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Not just acting out on something, but truly thinking about it. Sin is not just about what you do, it's also about what you think. So the mind can run in sinful directions without ever carrying it out with your body. 
It's giving permission to the desires to express themselves in the mind. So where does all this ugliness come from? Paul was very clear about it. He said, we were by nature children of wrath. We sin because we have a sin nature. That's who we are before Christ. Let me read everything we just read, verses one through three, all together now again. So I want you to hear what Paul said. He said, you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, those two things working against us, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves, now Paul's brought himself into this, in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. We were dead, disobedient, and depraved. That's who we were before Christ. Thankfully, God didn't leave us there. Let's get to the fun part. Verse four, but God. Everybody say, but God. But God, from before Christ to after Christ, a child of wrath to a child of God. It is like God used TNT and we were thunderstruck. I mean, everything changed. I took a shot in the dark that you would get that. Man, some of you are, you're gonna find this out later that you're missing all these. So uh, with our condition after Christ, I didn't expect you to really get them, I promise. I knew you wouldn't. Our condition after Christ, but God who's rich in mercy because of his great love, number one, it's right there on the bulletin, made us alive in Christ. With Christ, excuse me. Made us alive with Christ. So even while we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. Now, note takers, uh, if you don't have a King James Version, you can go on your phone, the thing that involves all of this over here, and pull that Bible out, and pull up the King James Version, and you will find in this scripture, it actually says that God made us, or quickened us together with Christ. So it would say, even while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, or it might say in our transgressions, it'll say God quickened us together with Christ. That word quickened, it has two root words in the Greek, together and vitalized. Those are the two words, together and vitalized. See, many trans translations miss this. We're combined, we're infused with the nature of Christ. Think about that. In Christ, we take on his nature. So who were we before? Dead, disobedient, depraved. We change, we have a transformation. Now we're made alive with Christ. Number two, we're raised up with him. What does that mean? raised us up together. God combines us with Jesus as he vitalized Jesus and raised him from the dead. We're joined together with him. So this new life we live is being combined with or renatured with Jesus's resurrected life. Is this sinking in? Are you catching this? So what's it say? He raised us up together and finally made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we saw there's three things that we were before Christ. There's three things he does after we accept Christ. He makes us alive 
He raised us up and he seated us in heavenly places. Think about it, that's a long way to the top to get all the way to the point where we're in heavenly places. Physically, my body is here on this earth, but positionally, I'm not only do I have an advocate sitting at the right hand of God, I myself, you yourself, are placed at the right hand of God in Christ. Notice something else. All three of these things that it says we are in Christ They're all in past tense. He made us alive, he raised us up, and he seated us in heavenly places. It's not something he's going to do when you get your life all together and you have everything in order. No, it's not something he hopes to do when he overcomes Satan. He already did it. It's done, game, set, match. Praise God for that. Come on. It's done. He made us alive. He raised us up. And he seated us in heavenly places. All of that is good for you to know so we can get to the next two verses. The next two verses describe salvation that God has blessed us with. This is Salvation 101, okay? You ever hear a salvation message, you're gonna hear this scripture mentioned. And if you miss this, can I be honest with you? If you've just accepted Christ in a recent few weeks, months, whatever, if you miss this, you'll never walk in the freedom that Christ brings. If you miss this, you will actually be down on yourself for all of your shortcomings and mistakes. So don't miss this. Look at your neighbor and just say, don't miss this. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace, you've been saved through what? Through how hard I work? Through how good I am? No, through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So there's three um, phrases right here just in verse eight. It's by grace, through faith, with God, or excuse me, of God. By grace, through faith, of God. These facts or absolutes are what make our salvation. Grace, faith, and God. Do you see our name or us or we in there at all? No, it's by grace, through faith, of God. It's a gift. Why are we making that so clear? Because verse nine says, not of works, lest anyone should boast. In other words, you can't boast about it. You didn't do anything to deserve it. You didn't do anything to earn it. So don't even try bragging about it. My brother came to town on Monday. Monday was opening day of turkey season. And my brother and I like to get together. Anytime there's a hunting season, uh, that we can have some time. We work hard, so we play hard, right? So we got up Monday morning and had probably one of the best days we've ever had together. We got up and we went turkey hunting. Didn't do any good, but that's okay. We got home, we unloaded all of our turkey stuff. We threw the kayaks in the truck and we drove and we went fishing. We caught some fish. We came back home, threw the kayaks out, grabbed our golf clubs, and we went golfing for nine holes before the day was over. Turkey hunting, fishing, and golfing all in one day. It was amazing. Yeah. And what makes it even better is we have a lot of fun because we're both competitive at anything we do. We're gonna find some way to be competitive. Whether it's play ball, go fishing, or who can kill the biggest deer. It isn't serious. We're just having fun. I'm gonna tell myself, and I know that my mom watches these things, but I'm gonna say it anyway. A couple of years ago, we're on the golf course in Chillicothe. I guess it's five or six years ago. Before we lived here, my brother's up, we're playing golf. We're going in the last two holes and we're tied. 
And he's, I don't remember, he reminded me of this this weekend when we were, or this week when we were hunting. He said, remember this? And I did not, but he said, when we were coming the last two holes, we decided whoever lost would take mom when she gets old. I'm sorry, mom. It's just a joke. You'll never get old. We don't have to worry about that. But that was just one of the things we did. We were just having fun. So that's what we do. But on Monday, I mean, hunting, fishing, golfing, it was a great day except for the fact that he outfished me. Nobody got a turkey, so we couldn't brag on that. He outfished me, and then he beat me by two strokes in golf. That was the worst part of the day. Still had a blast, but that was hard to swallow. But guess what? Good news, we both go to heaven the same way. I can rub that in anytime I want. You can be as good as you want at something. We're both gonna go to heaven the same way. God leveled the playing field, if you will. You see, many times we think, oh, if I just give enough in the offering plate, if I raise my hand enough when we're singing the worship song, if I know those worship songs and I got them word for word, man, I'm closer to God than that person. I'm gonna be better than them. If I go to church more than they do, God leveled the playing field. I've grown up going to church since I was born. That's all I've ever done is church. But somebody can be sitting in their home. They don't have to come to church. They could be sitting in their home and say a prayer to accept Jesus in their heart, both of us go to heaven the same way. It's not about bragging. It's not like I can go, yeah, but God, remember all the things I did at the bridge and all the other churches I've been involved? No, none of that earned me anything. It is by grace you've been saved. So we understand who we were before Christ. It was pretty bleak, dead, disappointed, depraved, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love. He made us alive with Christ. He raised us up with him, seated us in heavenly places. And here comes the best part. Verse 10, verse 10. Why did God do all this? Let's see who we are after Christ. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, verse 10. For we are his workmanship. NIV says handiwork. We are his workmanship. I've preached on this before. Actually, if you go to the Greek, it says we are his poem. That's who we are. We are his poem. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Note takers, this is in your bulletin, but I can tell you something. If you write it down, it's proven that you'll remember it longer. Note takers, if you wanna write this down, Brooke McAtee, go right ahead. I know you got a pen in hand. Works are not a requirement for our salvation. Works are a result of our salvation. I'm gonna say that again. If you don't write it down, that's on you. But please remember this. Works are not a requirement for salvation. You don't earn it. You don't have to go to work to make up for all the things you've done wrong. But works come as a result of you recognizing who you were before Christ and who you are now. And the difference God made out of his mercy and out of his grace. We are like trophies of God's grace. We are his riches on display. That's who we are. My life is literally, your life is literally grace on display. Every moment of our lives, we make a decision regarding whose resources will we dip into? Is it gonna be the world? 
Are we gonna let the devil lead us down some meandering path? Are we gonna let God's resources in our lives put him on display? There are four different statements in verse 10 alone. Four different statements. I've preached a whole message just on this one verse. That we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, not just works, good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. God didn't save you from something. He saved you for something. We have a work to do. And I don't come today and share this message. Maybe you accepted Christ in the last couple of weeks or like I said, the last couple of months. Maybe you're someone, we had several on Palm Sunday that raised their hand for salvation. Maybe you're one of those and you're thinking, man, now I got the bait and switch. All I do is raise my hand and pray a prayer. Now you're saying I got works to do. Listen, if you truly accepted Jesus into your heart and you recognize who you are because of him, who you were before, but who you are now, the difference God made, all of a sudden those works just become something you want to do. You desire to do the works of his will. You desire to want to do more and more and more. I told you I've grown up in church. I love doing the works of God. I love, I can't do enough. It's life changing. And I need his grace just as much as every single one of you. But knowing how much I need that grace creates that desire to want to work for him, to want to serve him, to want to love him for what he's done for me. Will you bow your heads with me? I would beg to say that just about, if you're over the age of 14 or 15, every one of us in the room have a cell phone in hand or in our purse or sitting next to us right now. And that thing alone has changed our lives. Nothing actually will ever be the same. Do you remember looking phone phone numbers up in the phone book? Do you remember that? Do you remember having to actually pull out a dictionary and find a word? Do you remember opening a newspaper and reading it? Remember putting a DVD in the DVD player or a VHS or whatever it is you grew up with? As much as that one thing has changed your life, it's nothing. It pales in comparison to what God does for you through his mercy and his grace. So Father, I pray that we recognize, I don't care how long we've been serving, that we would recognize that grace that every one of us need, that we don't deserve, that we can't earn, but oh, what a gift. What a gift you give each, every one of us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died. And you changed us from the inside out. We remember who we were before Christ to who we are now. The difference you made. God, may we wanna work for you. May we want to serve you like never before. 
in Jesus' name we pray.